It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Our guest today is a legend in the basketball world, the first Australian to play in Europe. She amassed 264 appearances for Australia, 285 WNBL games for five championships, and 116 WNBA games for Phoenix Mercury. She's a two-time Women's International Player of the Year, recipient of the Australian Sports Medal, inducted into the Sport Australia Hall of Fame, the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, and the FIBA Hall of Fame, and led the Opals to their first ever Olympic medal. This member of the Order of Australia now runs her own basketball academy, developing the stars of the future. Today's trailblazer is Michelle Timms, AM. Michelle, how are you? Yeah, great, thanks. Thanks for having me. When I messaged you about this, we joked about the fact that COVID-19 lockdown meant you had plenty of time, but that's pretty unusual for you and you're normally frantically busy. However, this enforced mini break has given you heaps of time to watch the Olympics. What have you enjoyed? Oh, what haven't I? You know what? It's funny. We had to send a a special message to the Olympians who are coming back now and going to be sitting in quarantine. And And I said to them that, For me, I mean, I've been involved as a player or a commentator or as a coach in the Olympics since 1988 and having missed only one. So I've always been involved in some sort of way. And this is the first one where I've been uh, as a spectator. And I tell you, it was was fantastic. I, I, I think for the first time, I truly got to experience what everyone else experiences back home watching. And I was so invested and so emotional, I think. When uh, Fox had her race and lost, I nearly cried. I cried again when Patty Mills and Andrew Gaze cried. I, you know, it was just a, a full-on emotional roller coaster ride, which probably, you know, I probably didn't need going through a roller coaster ride anyway with COVID, but I just felt so fortunate to have the Olympics there to help through it. Do you feel like having had that experience as a spectator, if you went back as an athlete, you'd feel more responsibility because you know how much we're hanging on everything? <laughs> Absolutely. I think be, be a bit more maybe media savvy and stuff like that. And uh, just because back here, when you're um, watching on TV, it's you're so invested, you know, you're so into it. And all you want to do is hear from your athletes and, and get an insight to what they're going through, not only on the pitch or on the court or in the pool, but a little bit on the side as well. So... Yeah. Well, we'll talk Olympic basketball in just a second, but a couple of new events in the Olympics for Tokyo. What did you make of them? Oh, loved them. I'm a huge Skater Girl fan now. Somebody asked me on a, uh, one of the kids on a Zoom um, at one of the schools asked me, you know, if I was going to come back as, and do one of the competitions, what would it be? And I said, dude, skate, can't even do that probably. Skater Girl, I loved it. I loved the skateboarding and I really, really enjoyed the surfing too. Even though the first day was terrible waves and stuff, I really enjoyed those two new sports. What other new sports do we have in there? Rock climbing? Oh, oh my God, that was awesome. <laughs> that was crazy. That speed was unbelievable what they were able to do. Yeah, no, I got hooked on that too. I loved it. 
probably a little less emotionally stressful for you than watching the basketball. And how about those boomers? A first Australian men's basketball medal. Were you riding absolutely every shot? Absolutely. You know, so emotional. And then at the very end, to see Paddy Mills break down and or even now, like, stop it. You know, it's very emotional time for basketball and it's been a couple of days already, but I, I listened to Brian Gorgian today on, on the radio, his lengthy interview, and it was just, yeah, it was, it was, it was so warming. And I mean, usually it's like, okay, the event happened, a couple of days later, you calm down, but this is huge for, for men's basketball in Australia. Of course, the women, we always win medals or we have in the last two, but we've got our fair share of silvers, but this is, um this was just huge for all the work that all the men before them put in, be it coaches, staff members, and of course the players like, you know, Andrew Gaze, Phil Smythe, because winning that first medal, and I and I remember it clearly for us in 96 in Atlanta, it wasn't about you. It was about everything and everyone that's come before you and what it meant to wear the green and gold. So yeah, I totally felt every piece of emotion that, you know, especially when Drewy started talking about it on Channel 7 after the game. Well, the names you're mentioning there and, and when you said Brian Gorgian, that was like turning back the clock watching him pace, wasn't it? Yeah, no, boy, Gorge, what a coach though. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm so glad we got him back to Australia. Um, China had him there for a number of years and he did fabulous stuff over there. So I was really happy to see him return and then so excited to see him back in Australia coaching the NBL and then to get the gigs. I just knew he was going to do it though. Him and Tom Maher are the two best coaches in Australia's ever had, in my opinion. So I was so happy to see Boy Gorge get that medal. Well, I'm going to put you into that coaching conversation in a moment, but uh, one more name, Paddy Mills. He's been exceptional, not only out on the floor, flag bearer, driving that team in the FIBA starting five for this Olympics. Does he just transcend the sport for you? Oh, he does. He's just, you know, can't come up with enough enough words to describe him. The, the guy's just godlike. Like, he just transcends, you know, like everything he does, it's heart and soul stuff. He absolutely showed to anybody who turned on the boomers what it really truly meant to wear, to wear the green and gold. And not only that, the culture that he helped transcend from, you know, previous players before and just everything about him just seems absolutely first class. I, I unfortunately don't know him, you know, very well at all. I, you know, maybe I said hi once, I don't know, but he's somebody that I'd love to get a chance to say hi and shake his hand and, and just give him a hug and just say so proud of what you're able to do and the way you represented. Now for the women's comp, how exciting for Japan, a silver medal at home. Uh, would have been great if the fans were there, right? I know, right? When they won that semi-final, that was the thing. I, I kept thinking, oh, my goodness, this deserved to have a full house of Japanese spectators just going absolutely off. I had them tipped to medal. They did face a lot of adversity with, without their best player, Tokashiki, their centre. She played mm. in the WNBA and, and was injured, so she didn't even get to go to the Olympics. And a lot of people doubted them, but look, they've got a super coach in Tommy Hobarth and, you know, they did a super job. I just knew they'd be relentlessly persistent and I knew they'd have speed. And I just think combine that with the great coaching, they were going to do good things. And it was just great to see an undersized team just be able to pester teams relentlessly, you know, with their speed <laughs> and their, their dogged attitude. Coming up against the US was always going to be a, a tough ask for an undersized team, if you like. The USA, though, hell of an achievement for the likes of Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi. Five gold medals. Just insane. It's too hard to even 
conceptualize in my head, not even having one. It's like when someone says, oh, yeah, we make $18 million a season. Like, I can't even get my head around that. So to say that you've won five medals for me is the same sort of confusion in my head because I can't, I can't imagine five. I mean, look, look, that's 20 years. Worth. Like, that's just insane. <laughs> and five gold medals. Yeah, good on them. They're, they're a powerhouse and they're, they're the team that we always strive to beat. The Opals, your thoughts? Well, you know what, it's a, it's a bit of a, a big mouthful, really, because there's so much to talk about when it comes to the Opals. I think what happened, we've got to talk about the elephant in the room. So, you know, let's go straight to the Liz Cambridge, in, you know, what's happened there. And it was a very big deal for the, for the Opals, you know. It's, it's hard to lose your, your main piece and, uh, and then be expected two weeks later to be able to perform <laughs> at an Olympics. Look, I really felt for them. I think that the culture, you know, we can talk a little bit about the culture and you saw the culture of the boomers, which just came through so strongly. And I think that our culture as Opals has sort of shifted a little bit. And I'm hoping that these Olympics, okay, they're out of the way. And now's a chance for us to rebuild and get back in, in touch with what it really means to be an Opal. Pretty much what Andrew Gaze mentioned about playing in the green, in the green and gold for the boomers. So was it disappointing you know, on one hand, yes, but the other hand, understandable with the amount of preparation and, and what happened leading into it. You, we hoped that we could get back in the medal mix, but we knew it was going to be a long bow once Liz stepped away from the team. But it's a great opportunity now to rebuild and reestablish who we are and find our identity because without Liz, it's a totally different ball game for us. So I'm kind of excited moving forward, to be honest. We've got the World Cup next year. 2022 so that'll be the start of the rebuild who's impressed you the most out of this current crop well that's a good question well there's players that impressed me but players that actually impressed me at the olympics ebsery was my first player i go to look she really surprised me i didn't realize how good and how impactful she was going to be and she did a great job offensively but i think the biggest thing the key for her was defensively she really got us through a few games and she had some huge tasks game to game. So she usually defended the best point guard. So I was really, really happy and pleasantly surprised with how Edgery went. And I've got to admit, you know, Kayla George surprised me too, I think. And Tolo, I thought they were getting to the, to the end of their careers. And I tell you what, they had a couple of good games there that really saved our bacon and, and showed great leadership. So it was really great seeing them um, step up in the big games and when they had their opportunities you know, lead from the front and uh, the other the younger players just follow on. And, of course, we've got Ezzy Magdeball, who, especially at the start of the tournament, was very strong. And um, and I thought she was – she's very exciting to watch. And I hadn't seen her play as well as she did at those Olympics yet. So it's very exciting time for, for Ezzy and the Opals. And to watch her over the next four years is going to be really exciting, her playing in the WNBA and the WNBL. So she's someone um, that – could build to a Cambridge, isn't there yet, but she's only young, but it's going to happen. She's going to be something really special, that kid. And then you've got some players like, you know, um, Shyla Heal, who's back here. Um, I'm a big rap for her, a little point guard. Of course, I'm going to be a rap for the point guard. Moving forward, there's players like her and Nicholson, another good guard who played up in Townsville, wonderful defender. There's a whole feast of young kids, that next level, that, that not that, that next level, but the, the ones who are getting ready now to step up and, and become Opals. So it's really exciting. That's a peek into the future. We also had a look back at the past with the bodysuit coming back. What did you think? Oh, look, whatever works, I say. You know, it, the, the thing that people have to understand, because there was a lot of talk about it, is that it was the player's decision. 
So if, if they want to wear it, I say, go ahead. I don't know whether it was just because it's the green or gold or whether it's the bodysuit, but I, honestly, whenever you pull on a green and gold, whatever it is, there's so much pride and you just, especially when you put on a bodysuit, you just felt like Wonder Woman, to be honest. You just felt like anything was possible. Yeah, I don't know what it was, but um, but I love wearing the bodysuits, maybe not towards the end of my career when I was a bit chubby around the waist, but <laughs> no, I think it's 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 not about a bodysuit or a, or a singlet and shorts. It's the actual putting on the, wearing the green and gold that suddenly makes you feel so great and so powerful and so ready to do your best. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Basketball superstar Michelle Timms is today's trailblazer. Timsey, you're an important part of the Opal side that won the first ever Olympic medal, Atlanta 96. What do you recall of that campaign? Um, oh, that seems so long ago. Um, but <laughs> never forget it. It's a long time ago, but never forget it because it was really special. It's like what the boomers had just gone through then. It was the first ever medal won by a men's or women's team at the Olympics. So Um, extremely special moment for basketball, um, women's basketball, that's for sure. I think that what I remember most about 96 is just how emotional we all were um, at the end of the game because we knew it represented so much more than just us. And it was all those who had come before us. And, uh, you know, Tom Ma did a great job instilling and um, I guess educating all of us as to the players that came before us, you know, the 1958 team that had to get on a, a ship and travel for three months to go to their first world championships, you know. So we, we, we did a lot on the history of the Opals and, and who they are. And uh, so that for us in 96, that very first medal, we knew it was bigger than us and that it represented the whole of basketball. Sydney Olympics as captain, competing at a home games. That is a once in a lifetime experience for most athletes. Was that a completely different experience? That was amazing. That was, um, you know, when people ask me what was the, the, you know, if you had to pick one moment, I can't because I picked two. I picked 2000 experience and and 96, obviously. And um, 2000 was absolutely amazing on so many different levels. Like, for me, as an athlete, it wasn't my best um, moment because I came in on one wheel, I was injured, but I was captain of the team. So um, I feel as an athlete, uh, it really helped me finish my career off because I got to learn how to be a leader, which I hadn't really focused on. I'd always been surrounded by great lead- leaders in, in uh, Robin Mark, Christy Harrow, things, you know, players like that or great leaders. And this was a chance for me to really think about what it was to lead a team. And so um, I, I wasn't so great on the court, but I felt that um, I was the best wave, you know, <laughs> that towel waver going around and, and, and super supportive. But I felt really fortunate to have been able to round my career with um, understanding truly what it means to be a, be a leader and a captain of a team. But I think for 2000, the silver medal, you know, it's a kind of a weird feeling because you don't win a silver medal, you lose it. And, um, and so for the first probably... I don't know, 40 minutes, you're so down and until you get up on the, the dais and then you get presented with the silver medal. So it's kind of a weird one. But um, um, and the other thing about 2000 that, that, that puts it light years in my, you know, ahead of anything else I've experienced was just the, the greatest show on earth. Like, you know, how wonderful we did as a nation putting on Olympics and, and, 
you know, as, as Aussies, we, we don't wear our heart on our sleeve enough, I don't think. And, and you know, we're not like the, the Americans who, you know, you you know, we're not like that. And we're very humble. But this was a wonderful opportunity and experience to really wear, you know, our hearts and our sleeves. Our spectators were unbelievable. The volunteers were, you know, can't speak highly enough because it's the volunteers of an Olympics that actually make the Olympics which is what we understood in 1996 when most of the volunteers in America, you know, they, they quit in the middle of their jobs and things. So um, for 2000, I was so proud to be an Aussie just to have experienced one of the greatest Olympics. Well, I'm going to be biased and say the greatest Olympics that I can remember anyway. I've been to a few. But, um, yeah, so 2000 was really special on so many different levels for me. I mean, I never forget just little things, going, jumping on a, a train heading into town during the Olympics, and um, somebody might recognise you and suddenly the whole train, you know, full of Aussies or whatever, um, would all start singing. Somebody would start singing, Kookaburra sits in the old gum tree. And then everybody in the train, I knew that someone would sing that. And then suddenly someone from America would start cheering. And, you know, just the whole experience, the, the experience was absolutely phenomenal. And I'm really excited with the announcement of 2032 that we're going to recreate that. And um, those lucky Olympians who get to experience an Olympics in their own backyard, and some of those might have been 2000 as well. That's a fabulous trip down memory lane of what 2000 was like. And as spectators, can I say that for us, you definitely won a silver medal. It was a, an incredible performance, a never-say-die uh, attitude. And I recall the in 2000, the Roy and HG interview, it wasn't your first one, but you won an absolute gold medal in media performance. It was so brilliant. It was like Timsy unplugged. It was superb. Stop it. Stop it. Where was my mentor? <laughs> Who was the one gagging me, for goodness sakes? Like, I watched that, and my daughter's not here right now, but I'm, I'm hoping she doesn't see that ever. She, she just, it's just so, when I look back at that, it's just so cringeworthy, you know, like, what the heck am I saying right now? You know, it's so cheeky, fair income. Goodness me. <laughs> yeah, bad news. It's on YouTube. I watched it yeah, last I know. night. Um, and it is sensational. And the other thing I loved about it, besides how absolutely real your performance was, you had a young Lauren Jackson sitting next to you, so almost reluctant to speak. Uh, she was talking about not ne necessarily wanting to go to the US and play WNBA. Does that make you laugh in hindsight? That makes me laugh hysterically and out loud <laughs> while with everything, you know. But I do remember it because... That's because normally you don't get invited twice to Roy and HG, but I got dragged along because they knew Lauren was so quiet, you know. But boy, did she change that around in a, in a short amount of, amount of time. But I definitely remember saying that she probably, yeah, I don't know if I want to go to the WNBA. And, uh, and when she was there saying she was going to retire early and all this sort of stuff. But, I mean, look, talk, you know, the greatest of all time, Lauren Jackson, that no one... No one in Australia comes close to what she's been able to achieve um, in, in men's or women's basketball, uh, or women's or men's basketball, I should say. So, um, yeah, I, I was happy to be uh, on that show with her. She's my claim to fame. <laughs> I know Lauren Jack. <laughs> yeah, hardly. I think she might reverse that. Uh, it, it was a truly special group that, that you played with. That was, if you like, a changing of the guard almost when we're looking at you saying that was your last one and, and Lauren just coming onto the scene. How do you reflect on those different generations of players? Yours looked like it was just so much fun. Yeah, it was, but the, the, the next generation took the sisterhood to a whole nother level. Like they, um, the athletes started to evolve. Uh, the way they played the game became a little different. It became a lot more athletic. 
but it definitely was we we had the best time i mean that's one of my one of my, one of my regrets is not being able to hang on a little bit longer um and or if lauren had been a bit older got to play a little bit more with lauren before she retired and been able to play with uh penny taylor as well i didn't get an opportunity to play with her and and Lauren and Penny and Christy Harawa, Belinda Snell, they all just ran with the, you know, the gauntlet after that and just did so well. Like there was no, there wasn't a step backwards. And now I think in, in the Opals, we, we see a little bit of the, the next generation. And that's why I think it's going to be a bit of a rebuild because we don't have your Jackos, your, your, your Penny Taylor, your Christy Harawa, your Snell, your, the, you know, Susie Batkovich, how silly of me not even mentioning her name, you know, like, that was an incredible crew that we were together for an awful long run. And um, and then Liz came towards the end of that with the Jenna O'Hay. So uh, um, to be fair, I don't think there's been such a talented group of Opals as that since. So we definitely need to, you know, we're building towards it again. And it might be a slow build, but we're going to get there for sure. How about the coaches you worked with? You've had a chance uh, to progress through in your own coaching career to work with some of them again. Who had the most influence on you as a coach? Oh, definitely Tom Ma. I mean, I don't even have to think about that. He had the most influence on me as a player and, and definitely a coach. And, um, you know, I've had some wonderful coaches and picked up well, another one. Another great coach was uh, Carrie Graff, of course. And, I, you know, Graffy and Tom both possessed this. I guess I've had a lot of coaches, but the one thing they had that, as well as in intellect more than others, they had this thing which uh, they they made all the players buy into what they were selling. So you really felt ownership um, of the program and, and, and that you had some sort of say in the direction that you, you were going to go. And, and both those coaches, and I said this the other day to someone, they had something special because I would run through a brick wall for them. You know, you would do, you know, anything for them. And I think not all coaches have that about them, you know, and, um, and, and definitely they were the only two that had that for me. And I, I find that sort of quality is, is, you know, goes a long way. And I think the way they, they, they sell, not sell, the way they present the, uh, the philosophy and, of the game and, and the way they want to play the game and, and turning it over the players is very empowering to the playing group. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Trailblazer today is basketball legend Michelle Timms. Timsy, you're Melbourne born and bred. Was it always basketball for you? Yes and no. Um, Mum and dad, I come from a big family of nine kids. And, um, you know, they, they, Mum and dad always wanted us to try a lot of different sports. But I guess for me, in my area of Manningham, the Manningham municipality, um, sport back in the early 70s was quite big, strangely enough. Um, didn't get any media or anything, but the biggest thing that you wanted to do in, in sport in your primary school was to represent Bulleen and wear the blue and gold special warm-up top, you know, and that was the, the pride of any kid. That really meant you were something special. So um, for me at a very young age, I, I knew I wanted to, you know, play basketball. But, you know, mum and dad made sure it wasn't just hoop. It was, you know, swimming. It was netball. It was tennis. It was um, lots of different sports that they made sure we uh, participated in. I've heard an AFL coach mention that you would have made a pretty decent AFL player as well. That wasn't really even an option then. But did you look at any of the sports as a career opportunity? Because let's be honest, it wasn't hugely financially viable for women. 
No, not at all. I mean, I had a dream to play basketball for Australia and um, and go to Olympics, but it never had any dream of when I was young of, of making it a profession because, like you said, that wasn't a possibility. And, and until 88, um, it, I really still didn't have that dream in my head. Like in the Seoul Olympics, I remember um, um, sitting at a cafe with Robin Ma and um, we're talking about, you know, goals and where to and what now and, and I said to her you know what I'd really like to play um, professionally overseas but none of us had any idea we never had agents we knew the league existed in Italy was very strong and all around Europe they had these these leagues but we had no idea how to um, how to get there so basically it was a throwaway line and then lo and behold when I got back from the Seoul Olympics a German club rang Lorraine Land and the Basketball Australia and said look we'd like a we'd like a point guard um, to come play for us, you know, can can you suggest one? So um, I got my first opportunity. I was working with Lindsay Gaze down at Basketball Victoria and I remember walking into his office and say, hey, I've got this opportunity um, to go play over there. I won't make as much money as what I'm making here, making here, running around doing clinics, but I think I'd like to go and, and do it. What do you think, you know? And uh, he's like, oh, well, yeah, you've got to go do it, you know, go, go live. And, of course, um, mum and dad were... Um, they, they were a bit hesitant, but still thought it was a great idea, a chance for me to go and have a cultural experience and, and play as a professional, which was, you know, the start of it. Well, it was the start of everything, really, for Australians. You weren't just the first female basketballer. You were the first basketballer to go and play in Europe. And, you know, from the McCoops time basketball clinics, uh, that's a pretty big <laughs> step to go and be in Munich. Did you feel out of your comfort zone? Did the basketball differ greatly? Well, gosh, I... It, it didn't differ greatly because I'd played, I'd played around Europe a, a bit with the national team. But um, look, it was, I think the loneliness at the start was was very, uh, well, it was right there in your face every day. I was very, very lonely and I had to get an advance. I think I got like $1,000 uh, a month and uh, and I got an advance on it because I spent all my money changing it into, do um, you know. Deutschmarks. <laughs> to put in the phone so I could ring mum and dad and cry and go, oh, I'm so lonely, I want to come home. And they're like, no, you're not coming home. You've committed, you're going to sit through it. So um, I think the loneliness really got to me. But then I, after mum and dad said, no, you're not coming home, then I was like, well, I'm not coming home. So suck it up, princess, you've got to make this work. So, um, so then I started to get more involved in the team and, um, and didn't isolate myself so much became really good friends with, you know, got some great teammates. We'd shoot around each day. We'd go to gym each day. And um, and it was the best thing, those harsh words at the time from mum and dad were the best words I could have had. And it was a very interesting team my first year because we had a mix of, a realm of um, internationals in the team. So it was a German team. I played for Eski München, but there was Germans, there was Slovenia, there was all different nationalities in that team. And, um, and I know going to time out, so I wouldn't, under, there's a Hungarian, I wouldn't understand a word. And then, cause then it had to go Hungarian to German, to German, to French. And then, you know, as we're walking back out in the court, I, I'd finally get translated in a throwaway line with what was said. But, um, but luckily being a point guard and fairly experienced, I think I had a fair idea of what was, what wasn't working and what was. So, but it was great. I loved it. I loved the, the, the life experiences, especially. I presume if the comprehension and the translation didn't come through quick enough as the point guard, you just ran your own play anyway? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, basically. 
And they're all like, well, that's not what we were meant to do. That's not where the ball was meant to go. They'd all be looking at it. So, yeah, well, you got the two points, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so you also then headed to America for the first incarnation, if you like, of the WNBA, or it was a, a, a league then. Uh, what did that look like back then? Well, it was um, just out of this world, just just insane. Like, I'm so lucky to have experienced that, to be just, like, I, I guess I started, that was just when I started heading down the other side of my career. And I kind of wish I'd been a bit more professional and hung tough and been able to enjoy the peak during the WNBA, but I sort of slid down a little bit, but it was a great ride over there. It was unbelievable. You know, we had you know, 13 to 15,000 people at, at games. We, you know, stopped in the middle of the street, people wanting your autograph. Like I feel like a big head talking about it now, but you know, you'd be at a restaurant and somebody say, oh, it's on us, you know, thank you very much. Just, you just, you got an experience for what, um, you know, the NBA players walking around, how they got treated, how the AFL players back here got treated and, you know, people walking around with your hair cut and, you know, knowing every single thing about you. And it was just a surreal experience. And I, I feel really lucky to have just in a little way been able to be involved in the WNBA before I slid off in the retirement. <laughs> Uh, when you look at the the women's game over there now, we we often see America as the promised land, if you like, for basketball. I mean, when when I was growing up, you know, in the men's game, they had uh, Jordan Malone web posters all over their walls, and as you say, that the women's landscape became very promising. But it's a pretty brutal world. You mentioned Shyla Heal earlier, and we saw her feel the brunt of that. Is that still a world that you would recommend players need to go to to succeed? Well. Well, if you want to play the best, you go to either Europe or the WNBA and any player wants to show their work, you know, how good they can be and how they stand up against the best. So absolutely, you know, um, I felt, you know, there's a lot in what happened with Shyla Hill. Like it's, you know, I've said this from day one that foreigners don't, you know, they get picked out very early that, you know, to be a college player, you're a few years older, you know, whereas foreigners get placed on that, on that list straight away. doesn't matter what their age are, but I feel like there are. Uh, it's uh, it was as brutal as I've ever seen. You know any act within within the WNBA. I uh, I you know didn't agree with it. I was really upset by it to be honest, and I really felt for Shyla. We're lucky she comes from good stock, and um, Shane and his wife have got good good heads. And Shane's on them, and Shane's you know been through a number of basketball experiences up in the, the highs and the lows. And you know I was super impressed by with by um, what Shyla came out within the media after saying, you know, yep, it has been tough. It was brutal, brutal, but look out, I'll be back. And that's just a, a fantastic and Opal-like attitude that that um, you want to you wanna hear. So I have no doubt Shyla Hill will get back over there and um, have a dominating career in the WNBA. And the advantages for someone like Shyla is that she has trailblazers like yourself to look at and to learn from and to chat to, as did, to a certain extent, you. You've spoken about the trailblazers before you. Did you have a basketball idol? Yeah, Jan Smithwick was my idol. She was the point guard back in the day. Um, and, in fact, her birthday just popped up on the Facebook just a couple of days ago, and so I sent her a shout-out. But, um, yeah, no, Jan Smithwick was my idol. She was just... And, um, and she taught me a lot of lessons as, as I got older, playing in state teams, then we'd play against the women's, the CYMS women's, which was her team. And, um, and I used to be a bit of a brat, you know, like surprise, surprise on the court. And um, I know I got taught a couple of really good lessons where she just, 
said to me, Timsy, you can't talk to your teammates like that, you know, or she, you know, some really harsh messages, but it's like, wow, this is someone that I idolise, giving me a real life lesson on in sport and I need to listen to this, you know. And so she, I, I never forget that day, um, Albert Park Court too. And, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I was really lucky to be able to watch how she held herself and how she played and, and try and develop or evolve my, you know, get my game mirroring her game. So she was my, uh, yeah, I loved her. I also really enjoyed Eddie Palabinskis. He was a phenomenon. You know, I was like under 12s when he was playing. He'd be down at Albert Park and he'd be training with, I think it was St Kilda on, and we and our under 12s would always have the first game. So we always played at six o'clock. So mum and dad, they knew I loved him and he was big time back then. So um, they used to drive us down early and we used to watch him um, finish off his training. And then he used to love, I'm not, I say he used to, he's still alive. He loves um, Smarties. <laughs> and so before we'd come down, we'd have to stop at the, you know, the petrol station or wherever and get our Smarties. And because at the end of his training, God love him, he used to come out and show us like another ball handling trick or he'd always come and talk to us. So if when he um, showed us a new skill, it'd be like, yeah, here's your Smarties, you know, thanks so much. And yeah, so he became, he was another one of my famous favourite players of all time. Not a bad one to have too. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. We're chatting to basketball trailblazer Michelle Tins today. Tins, so many experiences. Where in the world did you enjoy playing the most? Um, oh, look, is this a trick question? No. <laughs> <laughs> look, I just say that because obviously I love playing at home, you know. I tell you, it's going to take a bit when you when you play in, in Europe and you're um, the European champions, you know, and, you, and you're coming back to the airport where there's, drums and thousands of people you know hitting the drums and blowing their horns and so the to experience playing in Europe and playing in a in just a fantastic German team that that won the Euro Cup the Pokal Cup and every cup possible going through those years with Sandy Bondello as my teammate playing for Wuppertal they were something special and those crowds they you know playing I, I remember hearing Shane Hill talk about his time in Greece playing there with all the noise and the coin throwing and all that well, Germany didn't have the coin throwing, but they could make a racket. Like the noise in the in the stadiums were absolutely phenomenal. So that was always a joy going in and into other people's venues and seeing if you could quieten the crowd, you know. But um, and then having the full support of your own crowd. And like I said, when we won the European Championships for Wuppertal, flying into the airport in Köln and having thousands of people there uh, with signs and everything, that's that was special. Yeah. Did you get to an Oktoberfest? One or two, yeah. <laughs> no, just to experience, you know. You gotta, you gotta experience. But I am, um, I'm not a, a beer drinker, so. Um, but I just wanted to go, and and I used to go and collect the the big glasses, you know. So they had these big signs and that. So uh, yes, I did, and but I did try some glue vine at Christmas time. The glue vine in uh, in Germany, it was uh, was always something to uh, to taste. Now, you talk about retirement, but you actually made a really natural progression into coaching. Did you feel like that was a role that fit you like a glove? Um, yeah, I thought that was, the, well, actually, I actually thought that the natural progression for me was into commentating. And so I, I did a little bit of commentating, did a little bit of coaching. And then for a little while, I just sort of thought, you know what, I need to 
I, I need to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to go try and get a, you know, a real job, which is stupid to say. But anyway, so I went down and I tried my hand in merchandise and apparel for a while. And uh, that was so, just way too much wool. That was way too much pressure for me. You know, having to, having to sell X amount in a week, it was just like, what? And then I, I started working for Andrew Gaze's company, actually, with Paul Maley, another famous basketballer. And him and I, we got into a bit of merchandising and, and uniform selling and men basketball camps for the Gaze brand and things like that. So for a second, I stepped out outside of basketball, but within basketball is where I've, I've, I'm like, why fight it? You know, um, I feel like I, I'm a good communicator with the kids. And so um, coaching, I felt, was, was right now where my best where I sit most comfortably. I mean, I was at the high level, high level with the with the elite for quite a while with the national team, with the Opals. That was a great experience with Carrie Graff as assistant coach. Um, and then I was I went over to China for a number of years and worked with Tom with their national team. And when I got back from China in 2018, it was like you know what, I, I, I you know it was it's been awesome, it's been fantastic, but I think I need to take a break from the international travel, which. Well, as it is, it's kind of been forced on everyone anyway. But, but, and I, I always wanted to start my own academy. So I uh, started my own little basketball academy, um, Michelle Tim's Basketball Academy, and I hired Tom Ma and Peter Buckle. So I've got a couple of great ex Australian coaches that work for me. And, and we have, you know, I just have the best, I have the time of my life, you know. On Thursdays and Fridays, I get to teach beginner kids. So, so six year olds to, you know, 11 year olds who don't play much. We run a little, um, a clinic uh, for a couple of hours on each of those nights. And then from Monday to Wednesday, I run uh, the academy with Tom and Peter. We run under 12s and under 14 boys and girls elite. So yeah, I really, I really love it. And, and to answer your question, I think that yes, coaching was probably the natural, you know, next step for me, even though I tried to sidestep it. Well, you certainly stayed pretty busy. You mentioned going over to China. You, you omitted to mention that you also did that uh, while you're a mum as well, uh, having a kid when you're travelling the world and, and working in sport, what changed in your life when you had Kelsey? Um, well, I learned not to be so darn selfish. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think that's the biggest change is you go from this very selfish athlete and then you have a child and then you're suddenly selfless, you know, you, you become not to be so selfish. So, yeah, so what changed? Well, that's a really loaded question. A lot changed. I think also it... it, it it made me understand how to communicate to the younger age group a bit better. Yeah, yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> well, what's interesting is that she did start playing basketball, didn't she? Am I correct in thinking she's a volleyballer now? Yeah, a really handy little volleyballer. Yeah, she, um, look, we, we get to, um, I'm kind of embarrassed because we'd go down to shoot, we'd always end up fighting. And she'd always tell me that I don't know anything about the game. And um, so, but the kids got one of the, the, you know, if you're an elite player, you would die to have a shooting technique. It's just flawless, you know, but, um, but we had too many arguments and she wouldn't listen to me and do my head in, you know, and so, she, you know, she stepped away and decided to find her own mark and that was um, beach volleyball. So, and she, yeah, she loves it. And I've got to say, I am so sold on, on actually, it's not just beach volleyball, it's volleyball, indoor volleyball she plays and beach volleyball. And, and I'm so into those two. I just, I love both sports and, you know, it's all very nice and polite and, you know, <laughs> no noise from the spectators. And I just, I love the camaraderie of the indoor stuff. Like it's, 
it's every little thing's a high five and a whoop whoop and uh, yeah, I I just I'm really I know nothing about it and I should know a lot more after being involved for a couple of years. But Mum, uh, Kelsey just looks at me and says, "Mum, shut up, just stop it now. Don't talk about it. You don't know anything." But and then the flip side is the beach volleyball. I get to sit out in the sun and you know go for a swim in the beach or it's just the perfect parent you know the perfect sport that you want as a parent. <laughs> So, Timsey, if, if having a child teaches you patience, uh, is that something that really came to the fore teaching juniors? Because to go from being one of the best players in the world to teaching kids that can't bounce a ball, that's tough. No, that's that's not tough. That's fun. It's fun. Um, <laughs> it's fun and, and you got to, you know, it, it, it's just a lot of fun. I can't explain it. It's um, I think it, it's not just coaching, you know, it's not just teaching a technique. It's It's helping kids learn life lessons as well. Like you've got a huge responsibility with these little kids, you know, to let them know that it's, it's not okay to, to treat a teammate poorly or it's not okay to hit someone and, and not help them up or it's, it's you know, it's not okay to suck if you don't get the ball. So there's a lot of life lessons that we get to teach as well. And and so I, I love it. I love it because it's not it's not just the technical side. It's, uh, it's, it's life. And so I really enjoy that side of it as, as much as the, okay, dribble ball, spread your fingers out, you know, the technical stuff. And the kids are amazing, you know. I remember when I went through college, I, uh, I, I used to teach swimming and I, I found that uh, swimming was the most rewarding thing you could ever teach because the improvement was so quick, you know. But I'm finding that with coaching the little ones. Like, it's so rewarding seeing the kids who, who can't get the ball, you know, up to the rim and then within a short amount of time they're hitting the rim and then the next stage they're getting them in and, and, and not understanding spacing and suddenly they're running ahead and they're not acting like seagulls to the chip wanting the ball and everybody running over here. <laughs> it's, like, so there's a lot of like, oh, this just, you know, makes me so proud sort of thing. It takes time, but it's, it's a lot. I love coaching those, the beginners, but I, I'm also very much um, enjoy the elite kids too. The ones who want to take it a bit more serious because they are absolute sponges. The wonderful thing for the uh, young girls that you're coaching, it's a career possibility now. So, so much has changed for women's sport. Is that perhaps the biggest or most important change in your view? Um, since I was playing, yeah, yeah, definitely. The, 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 the fact that you've got a chance to, you know, to have your sport as a job is definitely, you know, that's your livelihood is, is the biggest difference. So I think like when I look back now, also the athletic, the athleticism of the kids is a, they can do some oh, a lot more stuff than I could ever do. That's for sure. Uh, there's so much more to come in the Michelle Tim story, but let's imagine for a moment we're in a world where all the players you've ever known exist in one realm. If you could build an all-star starting five from all generations mm. of female players, where obviously you're the captain and the point guard, who's on your team? Oh, wow. That, that's tough. That's really tough and really unfair. But anyway, I'll give you um, Well, thanks for pointing me on the team. Okay, we'll run with that. Um, we'll go uh, Cynthia Cooper in the two spot. Just one of the greatest players of all time in the WNBA. And just she was huge in Europe playing for Italy back in the day before I got over there. Um, it was I, She was somebody that I used to follow um, in the papers. Um, and I loved playing against her. Penny Taylor. Not only was she an all-time great Australian player, but um, offensively, but she was a super defender as well. Um, defensively, she could, you know, she steals, layup, steals, layup. So not only for her scoring, but her defense as well. 
I'm going to move Jacko into the four spot. And then, I'm, uh, you know, because you've got to have the greatest of all time in there. So Jackson's a no-brainer. Now, the, in the five spot, I'm pushing Jacko to the four. In the five, I'm going to have um, Haishang Shaw from China. And those who know, um, I remember back in the early 90s, when the, I was 94 was on, she was the starting centre for, uh, for China and just an absolute phenomenal player and phenomenal person too. She'd taken absolute beating off the likes of Karen Dalton and Rachel Spawn and all those guys and always <laughs> just spoiled, you know, like, and then she'd go 18 from 20 from the field. So she was amazing. So I'd have her in there. We'd work around her with Jacko too. And, oh, what a, what a fun team we'd have. <laughs> Maybe the weakest point. Wow. <laughs> Hardly. That would be some team indeed. Michelle Timms, congratulations on a stellar career as a player and coach so far. All the best with the chapters that, of course, are still to be written. And thank you for being today's trailblazer. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.